It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along on what is the last day of January. For me, January is one of those months that just seems to be so long. And I think the fact that it has 31 days uh, as well. I'm always glad to see the back of uh, January. Uh, so last day of January. And talking of the last day of January does mean tomorrow is uh, St. Bridget's Day. And we're actually going to be looking around some of the traditions around St. Bridget's Day. And the eve of St. Bridget's Day, there seems to be a lot of traditions, a lot of them in rural areas. Areas. Don't know uh, quite so much if they're as popular in urban areas, but we're going to bring on the wonderful Michael Fortune, who is a folklorist. He's going to join us later on on the programme just to talk around St. Bridget's Day. But if you've got any particular tradition around St. Bridget's Day or the eve of St. Bridget's Day, uh, please share it with us. And I was reading in the Irish Times uh, today a piece by Ronan McGeary, and he is talking about how the name Bridget has fallen out of favour when it comes to mums and dads deciding on what names they're going to give their little baby girls and there's the talk now the fact that it's the first Irish bank holiday named after St Bridget will it do anything to revive interest in the name uh, Bridget and now Bridget of course there's a lot of common variations on Bridget there's Breed uh, Bridie uh, Breeder and Breege all variations of Bridget and the name was most common in the 19th and for most of the 20th uh, century uh, and Bridget of course was also often used as a generic term for Irish women kind of similar to the way uh, Irish men might be described as Paddy or might be described as Mick seemingly Bridget was used to describe Irish uh, women particularly Irish women I imagine that were uh, abroad now the name declined in popularity so much so that when the Central Statistics Office were asked to comment on how many girls were given the name uh, Bridget, they wouldn't say how many were called Bridget in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017 or 2021. And they said that's for reasons of confidentiality, which means there was fewer than three girls named Bridget in any of those years. It peaked in popularity back in 1964. There was 595 girls called Bridget in 1964 and they'll be coming up to their 60th birthday next year. Those those particular Bridgets who are still with us. And in that year, it was the eighth most popular girl's name and then it dropped out of the top 100 most popular girls uh, names only in 1998 and in 2020 23 girls were actually named uh, Bridget 
Um, and then that figure uh, was um, in 20, 2020, it was at 23. And then, as I say, it fell then. Uh, they won't give numbers because it was below the, uh, below three. So I so uh, people are pondering with St. Bridget's Day and festivities around it, will we see an increase in little girls called Bridget? 0818103103. Story making so many of the papers today it was there yesterday as well. And this is the one to do with these nursing home charges and what is looking like illegally nursing home charges and it's just kind of I'm trying to get to the bottom of it to work out what exactly is going on here and to me it smacks of a story that we're going to be hearing about for quite some time and I have a funny feeling we're going to be drip fed information about it now I do know that the government has now called on the Attorney General to look at the claims that there were many people illegally charged for nursing home deals now this would have been before the fair deal scheme was introduced so we're talking about a number of decades ago. Both Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin are both claiming they were unaware of this legal strategy. And the, there's talks that there was a legal strategy to avoid paying a redress bill when it was noted by the government that people were being illegally charged. And they're claiming that the redress bill could, could be as high as €12 billion euro would have to be paid back to people. A spokesperson for the Department of Health said the issue goes back to the 1970s and it concerns older people who were admitted to nursing homes. Issues related to the legal basis for charging by nursing home residents. It was highlighted in 2005. Seemingly there was a Supreme Court judgment in 2005 and out of that Supreme Court judgment the health repayment scheme was put in place the following year by the then government of the day and that was put in place to pay eligible long-stay residents in public facilities. Now since 2009 the nursing home support scheme that's the fair deal that's provided a statutory basis for individuals to make contributions towards either their public or their private nursing home costs so it's all predating the fair deal. The Tornishta has now joined the Taoiseach in claiming he was unaware of the state's strategy and there's talks that the state had a strategy to deny redress to people who were illegally charged for nursing home cares. And of course, a lot of focus is going on both Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin, Martin, the now Taoiseach and Tornishta, because both of them, coincidentally, were both former ministers for, for health, but they're both saying they were unaware of what would be certainly a very cynical approach to limit the state's legal liability. And the issue is whether the state had the power at the time to levy charges on individuals and their families for elderly care in nursing homes. Now, some internal memos are suggesting that the legislative legislation was lacking at the time and therefore there was no power to ask for any contributions from these people. Leo Varadkar said yesterday that the state had never conceded that private nursing home charges were covered by medical cards. Uh, he said it would have taken a court judgment to establish that position, but cases were settled before any were listed 
for formal determination. Now, the Taoiseach was speaking on national radio yesterday and he said he was aware of four people who received a memo on the issue, but he says he wasn't one of them. Micheál Martin said that to a spokesperson that he would not have been aware of any legal strategy or a memo on nursing home charges. And as I say, the issue arose 20 years ago and it's since now been been replaced by the Fair Deal uh, scheme. So it isn't to do with anyone who has since gone into nursing homes under Fair Deal. And of course, it was leaked uh, papers. It was a, a whistleblower. Um, according to these leaked papers, if the government had had to pay back everyone, they're saying the figure could have been as high as uh, 12 billion euro. Now, Leo Varadko did refer, refer to the Mail on Sunday report and it was the Mail on Sunday who broke this story last Sunday. And he said, reading what was in the Mail on Sunday, the way it was presented, the real picture is more complex than that. He said he was never party to devising a legal strategy relating to nursing home uh, charges. Leo Varadkar became health minister five years after Mary Harney introduced the Fair Deal scheme in 2009. And a government spokesperson said that the legal strategy predated July of 2011 and then it was pursued by successive uh, governments uh, and it was being misrepresented. The strategy was to defend the cases relating to private nursing homes on several grounds and in particular that medical card patients did not have unqualified entitlement to free nursing home care. Now a limited number of individual cases were settled uh, where there was complicating factors but no case ever proceeded to a hearing and that's really the crux of the story here because if one had gone to hear- hearing we could have had somebody or a family like what Vicky Phelan did and stood out on the steps and told people this is what has been happening if it's happened to you you need to pursue it but because nobody has ever got to hearing uh, nobody has found out about it and in the case of public nursing homes a scheme was put in place and 480 million euro was paid to former residents or, or to their families now the current minister for health it's landed on his desk now, Stephen Donnelly. He's now gone to the Attorney General and is looking for a detailed briefing for his uh, department. And obviously the opposition are getting great mileage out of this. The Labour Party has joined the Sinn Féin Party in calling for all the documents on the issue to be disclosed to the, to the Oireachtas Committee. The Labour health person is Duncan Smith. He says the idea that a long line of health ministers could have signed off on a secret plan to delay or deny refunds of illegal nursing home charges. He says that is deeply, deeply concerning. And Sinn Féin's health spokesperson, David Colan, he's now written to the Oireachtas Health Committee um, requesting that it seeks copy of all the paperwork. He's also called on the government to release all the relevant documents to provide full transparency, particularly after these memos that were leaked by the whistleblower to the Mail on Sunday, because in some of these memos, memos, it says confidentiality has been a central element of the legal uh, strategy. Now, the big problem, of course, is going to be that many of the people who were involved, because I say it goes back to the 70s, uh, many of these uh, people are now no longer uh, with us. So it's as to will any of the money be paid out or not. But there certainly is a lot to untangle in this uh, story. Even with all the the digging and the researching and the reading I've been doing on it, it's really mind-boggling what was going on at the time. But it does seem to look like there didn't seem to be legislation in place 
service that allowed for many of these or all of these nursing home residents to actually have been charged at the time. As I say, there's a lot more to come out on this story. You can always email the programme, corktoday at c103.ie. And a listener in the Mallow area doesn't uh, want to be identified, which is fine, has uh, emailed overnight. And this is to do with the modular homes that are proposed for Carrickeel in uh, Mallow. And as we know, last Friday, there was a meeting between the OPW, uh, the Department of uh, Children and Integration with local councillors outlining what are the plans. Uh, there's testing going on on that site to see if the site is suitable and then if it is suitable what type of modular homes and how many families, uh, Ukrainian families are going to move in to that particular site if it is deemed suitable and part of the, uh, uh, when the councillors were talking with the officials they asked for an email address so that people who had concerns could email in and ask any questions that they had and there was an email address uh, given out, I think it was Ukrainian Rapid something Ukrainian rapid bills I can't remember the actual email address but anyway it was given out by the councillors following the meeting on Friday well one listener has contacted us to say that that email uh, address it doesn't seem to be active I've emailed yesterday and I got no reply now John Paul is looking in to find out if the email address is correct uh, or not or why our listener didn't get a reply now maybe they're just not replying to everybody immediately I don't know from this email if the email bounced back that it's an email address that's not working but we're looking into that but this sister is always saying that, that there is a municipal Mallow district meeting on Fridays. These meetings are held mon- monthly. The public at one stage as far as I'm aware were able to attend but now they're all on Zoom and I'm assuming they've been on Zoom since uh, COVID. This listener says we have meetings in work here that are fully Zoom and that's the way they were during COVID but now they were back to as near normality as possible. You can either attend the meeting room in person or you can log in in Zoom so, we've the, so we have the option for both uh, wondering when will locals be allowed to attend some of these municipal district meetings and we're going to put that question to the council as well because we know last Friday that that meeting was only attended by the members of the council uh, and by the the people that were coming from the OPW and from the uh, various the Department of of Children and Integration and members of the public were not allowed to attend so we'll just see if they any plans to change that because I think it was probably because of COVID that they stopped allowing the public to attend any of those meetings so we will get back to you uh, as soon as we get any information This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Now, according to figures released under Freedom of Information, tolls collected on the M50 alone reached a record 170 million euro for last year alone, with a further 175 million euro collected from nine other roads around the country. So, to discuss why we're seeing an increase in journeys, I'm joined by Paddy Common, Head of Communications at the AA. Good morning, Chip Paddy. Good morning, Patricia. Um, I take it a lot of this is, sim- is it simply down to people back working in the office? Yeah, it's a combination of lots of factors, Patricia. One is that, yeah, as you said, people are coming back to the workplace after COVID restrictions. We obviously saw the traffic levels fall off a cliff during COVID. Uh, our roads were very quiet and our air was very clean, but now we are sort of back with a bang, really. And I think people are possibly falling back into some older habits as well, whereas, you know, lots of companies have blended work. I think people are starting to, to, to come back into a, a more frequent pattern. But there are patterns to this in itself. 
we don't see the, the 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 Fridays as busy as they used to be in the afternoons and the likes of that. The great exodus doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. But we know as well from some of our own surveys that people don't necessarily feel very safe on public transport uh, and uh, especially in, in Dublin city centre and then in, in other areas of the country that there, there just aren't the right uh, services still. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, do you think people could be using a public transport more? That's where and if it's available. I'm very conscious there'll be people in this programme who'd love to jump on the bus or the Lewis or the train, but there, there isn't any public transport in their area. But I mean, do you think people could be using public transport more? It depends where it is, Patricia, to be honest. I mean, Dublin City Centre now, we, we, uh, I was coming in this morning and just seeing the amount of people driving into the city centre in single vehicles uh, into the into the capital is, is still baffling in some, some degrees. But in, in other areas of the country, there just aren't the frequency there. And some people still, for, for health reasons or security reasons, don't feel as safe as they might um but also if it's you know if, if the if the service is a few times a day and, and, you, and you need to use it more often and it's not there what can you do you have to jump in your car so um I, we are seeing and the stats back it up that we are seeing um more people cycling we're, we're seeing people more people walking but again at this time of year more people probably like the, the comfort of the car and like the the, uh, the fact that they have the you know the freedom in inverted commas of Know, listen to the radio or doing whatever they want in their own mm, car. Mm. And looking at those figures for how much money was generated from the tolls, can, can you ever see a day where the tolls will be scrapped? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I would be <laughs> sorry for the laugh. <laughs> I, I would be I would be hesitant to see that happen anytime soon. It's such a, a revenue generator for for uh, for everyone involved, both you know in terms of the public private partnerships for the for the companies who are building the roads, um, and for also for the government as well in terms of uh, of uh, revenue streams. There's there's definitely a push on to try and get people out of vehicles, um, you know, for for good environmental reasons. But we will see more of a situation, I think, especially in our cities where. Uh, motors are pushed out further and further out from using the car in, in, in the city centre, and um, but even you know even in terms of uh, of charging electric vehicles, I I I was in Cork on uh, Saturday on Sunday afternoon and I charged an electric vehicle in the car park and it cost me twenty eight euro to charge the car for a couple of hours. So already we're seeing um, that's going up in price, yeah, being being increased. Yeah, but look, we're going to see you know that's the future. We're going to see. Um, cars being pushed out of the cities a bit more. We're gonna, but hopefully, and and you know, I think the signs are good. We don't want to always criticise. The signs are good that the, the public transport is improving. Fares are very reasonable, uh, especially you know, I, I this morning in Dublin, I use a park and ride system, so I parked a car out in Santry and I got a bus into town, and for ninety minutes you had that. Uh, 90 minute fare of two euros so within that 90 minutes you can get a bus you can get a loose or whatever else you want um i think there is just still a hesitancy for for sound reasons for lots of people just not to go to the alternatives mm. yeah and i mean because th- there's been talk for quite some time of that they may introduce congestion charges in in the cities dublin is an obvious place i know it's been it's been mentioned for cork as well can, can you see th- i mean they're, they're doing everything to try to get people not to bring the cars into the city centres yeah, I think congestion charges are a reality in our future. They there's precedence there where cities like London and, and you know the figures back it up. They they work in doing what they set out to do in terms of um you know reducing emissions, reducing con- congestion as as well. Um, I I was on another radio station talking recently about uh, Nottingham. Uh, I spoke to Nottingham in the, in the UK, which has a similar sort of traffic levels to us, and they 
brought in a charge not on congestion but on parking for employers who provide a parking space so that uh, that also uh, and any of that money generated went back into improving their tram lines improving their public transport so um, I, you know i think it would be naive for us to say that these things won't happen they will happen um but it would you know we as an even as an automobile association would like to see a situation where people can start using their cars more for the things that they enjoy doing or spending time with their family and dropping kids to Gaelic and, and hockey or mm. rugby or whatever else. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I think we just still need to make sure that we have a really properly developed public transport network in place before we get into a situation where we start penalising motors even further. OK, let's stay on the cost of motoring. I don't know if you have a crystal ball uh, with you there in the, uh, the AA. Talk to me about yeah. fuel prices, increasing, decreasing. We were talking about it earlier here in the office. You can already notice that it's they're starting to go back up again. I mean, diesel is back up in the 170 mark where they've been hovering in the 160 something for quite some time. Yeah, of course. I mean, we can deal with the facts and, and the facts are that uh, petrol and diesel prices were, were quite reasonable, you know, in inverted commas, reasonable before the end of December. Um, we have seen them creeping back up. It's about 165 um, for petrol, 175 on average nationally for, for those fuels. The, we know, again, for a fact that the duty concession, which was given by the government, is due to end at the end of February. So uh, unless something changes or that's staggered, we're going to see fuel prices going up overnight on the at the end of february so it would be 15 cents for uh, diesel 20 cents for petrol so those will go right back up so we could look at a, a tank of uh, petrol diesel costing a tenner extra than it was um, between february and march because that concession was brought about about uh, about march april last year when we had the petrol prices going up over two euro per litre so the government intervened but that is due to end uh, and then there is the potential as well for um, for diesel in particular to go up if there um, is a fallout from the ban on Russian fuel products. So that's separate to Russian oil, Russian fuel products, which would include diesel. Diesel is, um, or Europe would have got a huge, huge proportion of its diesel uh, fuel from Russia. So now that uh, we have to get it from somewhere else there's the potential for that to, to cost us a little bit more as well so so on one side uh, in facts definitely fuel is going up at the end of february uh, and in potential too if those factors that i just mentioned come into place diesel in particular could go up can you see the government just overnight putting back on the 15 cent on the diesel and the 20 cent on the petrol well this is what we're hoping they don't do and um, we, we're asking for the government to clarify that situation we're asking for them to review that situation because what you're looking at is a situation where everyone realizes oh, you know that fuel is going up tomorrow so you could have queues at petrol stations oh. and and queue and what happens at a petrol station with queues at it is it doesn't take very long to empty a petrol station surprisingly little time in fact if there's a run on a petrol station it's like a run on a bank uh, and th- what can happen is that people get a bit irate and there's a little bit of panic buying sets in um, and uh, and what would be more prudent and what we really think the government should do is to stagger that over a number of weeks and, and potentially just you know increase it gradually if they have to increase it at all obviously we prefer if they didn't we were in a cost of living crisis we prefer if they were able to move that forward but the uh, chat 
appears to be that that's not going to happen. But uh, at least the prudent thing would be to stagger that. Yeah, and because if they if they did it overnight, it's going to and with what you're saying with the diesel products, we're going to be back looking at almost the two euro a litre mark. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully not. I, I think, you know, and again, it's a bit of the crystal ball, I think petrol should remain reasonably stable. Now, apart from that, that duty increase again, um, my, my concern would be diesel this year. Um, that would be, uh, you know, where, where our own, just from, from reading as much as I can and studying as much as I can, is that, is that, that, that fuel in particular has the potential for, for increase. But, um, but yeah, I think it would be wise for the government to, to look at um, just by having a, a pragmatic and prudent approach to any uh, increases because an overnight one will, will have, a, have an effect. Somebody is uh, raising the issue, if everybody did move to electric vehicles, uh, would the government not lose out financially with all the taxes we currently pay uh, on diesel yes. and on petrol? The short answer to that is yes, and they are already uh, losing significant amounts of revenue as a result of electric vehicles um, coming on stream. People are taking them up in bigger numbers. I was just looking at the sales figures. They are dramatically up in January this year already because the supply is getting a little bit better. And the government loses a lot of money. They lose money on the fuel. They use, lose money on the, the vehicle registration tax. They lose money on the annual motor tax on those cars. So that's why we, uh, we're, you and I are discussing things like congestion charges, where we're discussing things like tolls. Um, because uh, if once you know once we all move to EVs, which is the government's aim by 2030, it's unlikely that'll happen. But um, we will see the government having to make more money from uh, those motors in other ways and that's where you'll see charges for usage and 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 for actual congestion rather than just for uh, for the fuel that's put into it but then again electricity patricia if electricity gets to the point where it's 76 cents per kilowatt we're at about what late late you know early four 40s at the moment you would be paying the same to run your vehicle as a petrol or diesel. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. Because somebody else is, uh, Daniel is saying, ask Paddy, can you see a levy on car park charges coming in? Would that be another way of generating? Income? Yeah, that was that was just what we mentioned on earlier on. There, there, is, a, there is a discussion point um, at the moment about charging uh, employers for car parking spaces. Now, the precedent is there in other countries, as I mentioned, but Nottingham, where they have a system where they charge £521 per spot to the employer. Now, that's for, for employers that have more than 10 car parking spaces. But they raise £9 million per year as, uh, as a result of that uh, NHS staff. So, like, HSE staff would be exempt from that. But that is charged to the employer, and the employer then has the option of charging that back to the, to the uh, employee. But yeah, I think that's what's being looked at specifically for for, for city centres. OK, Tim is saying the fact that the government have been able to manage with the reduced excise duty on petrol and diesel surely means they don't need to put it back up again. Well, that's what we would all like to hope and think. All right, Paddy, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Take care, bye-bye. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paddy Common of the uh, AA. Uh, not the best of news when it comes to the cost of petrol and diesel, for sure. 0818-103-103. Uh, Martin says Paddy must be living in, on cloud nine to say that fuel prices, uh, they were nowhere near reasonable before Christmas. What planet is living on, says Martin. I suppose what Paddy was saying, compared to where it was when it was over, well over the two euro a litre, it went down 
to 160 odd. Uh, so from that point of view, I think he was just he's 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 not saying the petrol or diesel was ever cheap, but it was more reasonable than what it had been uh, a few months previous to that. Any household with teenagers will certainly be aware of a new energy drink called Prime. It has actually led to people queuing outside some stores in advance of the drink going on sale. Well, one local shop has decided not to stock it. And to explain why, I'm joined by Gary Martin of Horgan's Food Store in uh, Bottevant. Good, uh, good morning to you, Gary. How are you? Uh, I'm, you I'm very good. Good to chat to you again. I suppose for those who are not aware of this product, can you just explain what this Prime Energy is and its popularity? Basically, it's an isotonic drink similar to the plenty of brands out there um, promoted by two YouTuber influencers. Um, which has a massive price point. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's because of these YouTubers that it just literally took off. Yeah, social media is driving the sales. So it's supply and demand. But demand has been driven by social media and children and teenagers wanting the product. And it's the cost of what is essentially a soft drink that you really have an issue with. Yeah, I think it's unfair for any person whether they can afford it or not to be bent over a barrel to pay 15 euro upwards for a soft drink that's where I, I've, I've drawn the line I won't be stocking it unless it falls back into line with similar products Have you been approached to stock it? Every, every other day there's someone passing the door wanting to sell it um, sell it into me and I have it on the other end where I have people wanting to buy it off me as well, but I couldn't I couldn't stand there and look someone in the eye and ask fifteen euro plus for a bottle of drink. It just wouldn't be it wouldn't I couldn't I couldn't live on myself. Well done. Um, well done. I, I mean and you know if you were to get in a couple of cases of it, you know you would sell it. Like with within close of business. Yeah, I could I could shift pallets easily. There'd be no problem moving it on. It, it, there's such a demand there for it that it, it will sell regardless of the price. But I think it's just, I think it's obscene amount of money for any person to pay for a bottle of pop. As for one, you're looking at 15 euros. If you have two or three children that are on social media seeing this flashing before their eyes, that's 45 euros you have to hand over for three drinks. For as you say, it's, it's, yeah, no value. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a bottle of pop. That's uh, that's all it is. I mean, if yeah. if there wasn't all this hype, what would it be about two fifty three euro? Is that the what it should be? We actually had somebody contact us from the US yesterday because they've seen our Facebook page and it retails at one dollar eighty eight. Oh, for God's sake! So the same hype isn't happening in the states. No, no, it's been driven by social media over here and and the demand for it. Um, KSI, one of the guys who promotes the product, has come out in video uh, and saying it's a disgrace that people in the UK and Ireland are being for, not being forced, but <laughs> price is is it's so so great. Uh, he's kind of condoned retailers and wholesalers' behaviour in in charging that amount. So it isn't KSI and Logan Paul, the two YouTubers. They're not the guys making all the money out of it then? No, someone's making the money and it's ah. not the retailer and it's not, it's not a manufacturer. Ah, 
Yeah, the plot, the plot thickens because there's been massive queues in, in the UK as well. I mean, I saw up on uh, eBay some entrepreneurial young people were actually selling empty bottles and, and yeah. we're, get, we're getting a five or a pop for an empty bottle. Yeah, I've seen that people are retailing empty bottles at 10 euros oh. and, putting, oh. and putting Ribena into them. Oh, God. Oh, it's, it's just going back to that thing years ago. You you got an empty um, Starbucks cup and you brought your own coffee <laughs> in in the morning. <laughs> and then I have to ask, have you ever tasted this prime? No, no intention. No, my, no. my son, he's 11 and he's been asking me. And I, again, I refuse. Even at wholesale price, I still I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy it. Um, I, unless, again, prices fall back into line with similar products. I won't be tasting it, won't be purchasing it. Um, yeah, just that's, that's, that's our point of view at the minute. Okay, and I know it comes in a variety of different flavours strawberry, watermelon, pop, and blue raspberry. And it has, it's zero sugar, 10% coconut water. The BCAAs are in it, electrolytes and antioxidants and a more. And yeah, it's, but it's just your typical energy drink. Yeah, but this, like, similar to, products that are out there at the minute it's just social media driving it so if somebody has 15 euros as you come into the shop and buy something else yeah I'd much rather somebody come in and buy 15 euros worth of groceries or if they don't buy 15 buy something else yeah like at least then I can stand over that product and I'm happy with that they're getting value I was looking at your Facebook page uh, yesterday you stock an amazing range of, of confectionery do you do those old style sweets and things we do is yeah we do a lot of retro sweets and um we've got we've 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 garnished a good reputation and that's part of the reason we don't want to stock prime yeah. feel that but stocking will damage our reputation um we do a lot of sweets that others can't get their hands on and we've got a, we've got a good good customer base through Ireland what what's popular at the moment in in, in the sweets when you're coming into Easter so you would have Easy Oaks will be a very traditional retro sweet. Um, what I say? What, what are they? Easter yolks. Sorry. What are they? Say it again. Easy Oaks. They're Easy a chocolate, Oaks. Okay. Ch- chocolate with a, a caramel um, vanilla okay. insert. All right. <laughs> 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 and I imagine you were busy coming up to Christmas, were you? Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. We find that people are moving away from chocolate because the value in, in selection boxes isn't there anymore, that people are coming into us and picking up those retro sweets and giving them as a gift. So you can go to somebody's house with a retro gift pack and hand it over to the family. And we find that's the way customer trends are going. Yeah, and there's something, I think, great for parents to share sweets with their kids that they ate when they were children. There's something lovely about that. <laughs> yeah, it's Isn't nostalgic. That? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the, yeah, it's all back. It's all back to the, the nostalgia. And of course, I spoke with you uh, earlier on in the month. You were the it was your your other uh, shop, Eggman Stores in mm-hmm. Churchtown. You had that astronomical electricity bill. It was nearly thirteen thousand, wasn't it? Thirteen thousand. Yeah, it chipping away at that at the minute. Yeah, I was just. Gonna, it had tripled compared to where it was the, the year. Have you paid off? Oh, you've half of it paid, um, which is good. And I've been well supported by the, the local community, Brilliant. which is even better. And so I've got good news that ESP has given me to go ahead and install another 60 panels. 
And that will it's help. all about it. Oh, great. To that in the summer, my ESV bill will be very little. Thank God, thank God. Because you'll just have this one paid off and the next one will be in. Sorry? You'll just have this one paid off and then the next one will be in. Yeah, that's it. That's what I said to you <sighs> last month. Um, sorry, paying the first one, but we know in eight weeks' time the next one is going to be on the doorstep. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll, we can continue the way we're going at the minute and chip away at the build and keep the doors open and yeah. keep people employed. Please do, please do. Somebody says, fair play to uh, Horgan's food store in uh, Butterfant. Um, Gary is a great asset to Butterfant and to Churchtown. He could have made money from these prime drinks to use to pay off his uh, obscene electricity bill. I love his principles and hopefully people will support them and, and I think they will. Listen, Gary, thank you for that. Have a lovely day. You too, take and, care. Uh, thanks thanks uh, for joining us and to anybody in and around Butterfant, pop into Horgan's food store to get your other bits and bobs, but you can't buy yourself a bottle of Prime because he is refusing to uh, stock it. Uh, well done. Now, I know pressure has come on so many parents to pay this €15 Euro for what is uh, a, a soft drink, uh, essentially. It's just absolutely uh, crazy. And as Gary said, if you have three young people in the house, you can't just get them one bottle between the three. All three of them are going to want one. So you could, for just three bottles of pop, end up paying €45. Uh, Euro. It really is nuts. But isn't it interesting to hear that in the States, if you have anybody going to the States, you'll pick it up for a dollar eighty-eight under $2.00. If you're in the States, the hype has only been generated over here in Ireland and England. And it's, it's gone nuts. I've seen video footage, certainly from uh, the UK, of parents nearly nearly co- co- coming to blows with other parents in the rush to get in the door of a shop to get the last remaining bottles. It's just crazy. It's just absolutely nuts. Jim says, Patricia, do you know, or does the shopkeeper, but unfortunately Gary's gone off the line, what's the profit to be made on a bottle of Prime? As the saying goes, the country is gone mad. But as I say, it's the people in the country that have gone mad. Well, according to Gary, it's the distributor because you can get it in the States for under $2. And yet over here, it's averaging between 12 and 15 euro and it seems to be the distributors that are selling it on at that price it isn't even the manufacturers that are uh, making it and then someone else is pointing out and I wasn't aware of this uh, to say Patricia a Prime is not the same as other energy drinks um, this listener says for example Monster Energy Drink or Red Bull contains between 80 and 100 milligrams of caffeine Prime contains closer to 200 milligrams double that of caffeine it is not for kids at all so I did a quick Google search on that when I saw that text coming in and the listener is right Prime Energy contains 200 milligrams of caffeine per 12 ounce bottle of Prime Prime Energy is not recommended for children under the age of 18 and it is predominantly teenagers that are buying it who can get their hands on it it's also not recommended for women who are pregnant or nursing and it's not recommended obviously for individuals who are sensitive to uh, caffeine so please be careful of that prime drink if there is pressure coming under you in the household from young people to purchase it 0818103103 our lines are uh, open we're going to take a break uh, we've got news at 11 on the way and coming up a campaign to try to get all of us to learn the correct words to our national anthem you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed some reaction to my discussion on that prime uh, drink 
that has just become proven so popular with young people and because the demand is well outstripping the supply that most shops can get in that's why the asking price can be up to 15 euro a bottle Dan says Patricia the old saying goes uh, to mind a fool and his a, a fool and his money is easily parted good luck to anyone who wants to spend 15 euro on a bottle of pop most of these people are in their teens or 20s and when they get older they'll look back on this time and say what an idiot was I to do that they learn as they get older but I have to say I admire Gary the shop owner for what he is doing Margaret in Kinsale says I'm one of those parents giving out to my teenage son a 17 year old who along with his friends are spending all their hard earned money to buy this drink I do feel these YouTubers and Instagrammers and TikTok influencers who are more than likely getting paid to promote these uh, drinks need to be regulated the fact people can do can say and do what they want on these platforms is simply wrong Alison is in Carrigaline I agree with Gary I've got two teenagers in my ho- household a daughter and a son they both work part time it's just so wrong to see them spending their money on these uh, drinks when I challenged my daughter she said the main reason is she doesn't want to feel left out when she's out with her friends she wants to be holding one of these drinks in her hand so it's to fit in with the rest of the crowd Marion from Moy says can the government not step in and control the price of these drinks especially if it's targeting young people I would have better things to do with my 15 euro I have to admire Gary for the stance he is taking and Catherine Bandon said spending 15 euro on a bottle of minerals and many would not be able to put, put food on the table but as long as their children look good in front of their friends the family meal will go out the uh, window 0818 103 103 some of your thoughts coming in on that prime energy drink now moving to something completely different Betty in Kenturk has contacted us good morning to you Betty good morning Patricia now you're having a bit of a problem with street lighting tell me what's going on well, it was reported in early December and I report by somebody and a relative and I reported myself on the 23rd of December to be told that it normally takes about 10 days but obviously due to Christmas and the New Year it was going to be delayed and that's natural enough. So I rang again on the 13th of the 1st of January this month and they informed me that the repair team would be here on the 19th of January and as it wasn't, as it wasn't repaired, I rang on the 24th and I informed them there was a vulnerable adult in the house and they told me they would escalate it and they'd call me back. Now, I didn't get any call back, so I rang again on the 26th and reported it again, and they said they'd ring me back again. And I haven't heard anything from them since, and I don't see any point. Uh, there's no value in ringing them in another time. So I was just wondering if it's the norm. OK, and it's a street light. Is it outside? Is it close to your house? Yes, it's right outside. And are there many other street lights in the area? There is a few. There is a few. But it's plunging the footpaths outside into your house total darkness, in, yeah. into complete into complete darkness. Yeah, um, it, yeah and uh, and I we've contacted them as well uh, on your behalf, uh, and they absolutely say yes. The call has been logged. I'd love to know to have their record of how many times the call has been uh, logged because certainly you've logged it uh, a good number of times. And they've come back and uh, said that it is due to be work is due to happen on the fifteenth of February. That's another two weeks away. Um, uh, and we've again asked them um, John Paul's asked them if there's any way it can be speeded up but it's logged as gone um, and with the, with the job to be done on the 15th of February but if you first reported it when the 23rd of December you reckon you first reported yep. it? Oh yeah, after 23rd of December and they told me it was normally 10 days 
So that's the last week of so the whole the last week of December, the whole of January and half of February. That's December, not that's yes. not good enough. Well, it's just in this time of the year when it is so dark as well. You know, you have the really really long day, really long night. Yeah, and is it restricting the vulnerable adult in your house from going out after dark? Well, or? it's just getting back in, really. If it's turning dark at all, it's very difficult to get back in, especially from November to February. I, I know, I know. Yeah. And they'll, they'll they'll fix it just as the bright evenings are coming in. And That's she, yes. It's ridiculous. OK, we'll keep on to them. Um, well, we've, we've logged another call for you, but like God almighty, you seem, you've done your bit for sure. Listen, Bridget, thanks very much. No problem. No problem. Okay, listen, and we'll get back to you if we hear anything, um, if they can just expedite that. But it it does seem. Has anybody else waited that long? Because usually that company, uh, Enervo, Enervio, I think you pronounce it, usually they're very good whenever anyone contacts us. uh, I mean, I know you have to have the number of the poll and all of that. And uh, John, we regularly get calls in here about a streetlight that's gone. And John Paul explains the procedure. You've got to log the call with this company, and there's a number every single pole in Ireland that has a streetlight has an individual number so obviously they need to know the number then they log the fault and they're usually very good at getting out and uh, fixing it I would agree normally within 10 days uh, it would be fixed I'd, I'd, but you know I don't know if we've had other people who've waited that long this is you know, people who've logged the call there's no point telling us oh yeah the streetlight has been gone and nobody's reported it but if you genuinely know that you or somebody else reported it how long did you actually wait for the streetlight. I mean, I'm assuming it's just re- replacing the bulb. Now, whether there's an issue, that there's a supply issue with the bulbs, I don't know. But if there is, they didn't They didn't tell us anything when we contacted them this morning. All they confirmed was that the job has been logged and the work is due to happen on the 15th of February. And that's not good enough when it was logged, uh, b- w- you know, well before uh, Christmas. It surely should, be, should have been done by now. And I absolutely appreciate that, you know, workers would be off over Christmas and even better yourself wasn't it expecting it to be done uh, by uh, Christmas and she waited in fairness until the 13th of January to get back to say hello remember me you, you promised the work would be done and it wasn't done so you know she she did give them well over the 10 days after the Christmas period um, so if we get an update on that but in the meantime if anybody else can let us know did you is that the norm of late for a streetlight to be reported to take that long to be uh, fixed. 0818103103. And thank you to Irene in Kalekill. Just to warn people, there's a new text scam doing the rounds. She said she got the text message about nine o'clock last night and it was uh, purporting to be from AIB Bank. Now, she said it came from an 089 number. So that's that's when they do that. I think that's called spoofing. It's where they actually use a genuine number. If you ring back that number, that'll probably be, be somebody's mobile who will have no idea that their number was used in a spoofing uh, call. Anyway, the text was uh, warning Irene that she needed to act very quickly because her credit card had been compromised, which would frighten the life out of you to think somebody was spending your hard-earned cash on your credit card only problem was for Irene and Kate Kilt she doesn't bank with the AIB so she knew straight away that it was a scam but if she had been banking with the AIB she might have got a bit of a fright and she might have clicked on the links and we know what happens uh, then so keep a look out for that this one from AIB Bank uh, telling people that their credit card has been uh, compromised you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs 
Photo Island Resort. They are going to host an accommodation recruitment morning. Now, it's going to be Wednesday, the 8th of February. It'll be from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. They're hiring across all accommodation teams within the resort. There'll be full and part-time positions available. And there's also flexibility in shift patterns. Please bring along your CV on the day. Experienced ground workers are wanted to work in Cork and the surrounding areas, 021. 2339120. An Arctic driver is wanted for the Bohabui area, 087 2248466. And a gym instructor slash swim teacher is required for the Clonakilty Park Hotel. Please write with your CV to Maria Carolyn, who is in HR um, at the hotel, or you can email mcarolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. A new campaign is calling on everyone in Ireland to learn the words of our own Naveen and to do it in time to celebrate St. Patrick's Day this year. Heading up the Learn Our Anthem campaign is Rachel J. Cooper, who last year launched a gorgeous book to teach the children of Ireland our national anthem. And I'm delighted to say uh, Rachel once again joins me. Good morning to you, Rachel. Good morning, Patricia. Now, um, uh, we spoke last year about your gorgeous and what I thought practical uh, book. So I suppose start by reminding people why you decided to publish that book last year. Well, it was came from about um, me tending a lot of GAA and rugby matches where it would come time to singing the national anthem and I wouldn't know the words and I'd look around at people in the stalls beside me and they'd be kind of singing maybe the first line or two and then after that mumbling along. So I went away and I decided to learn it myself and I looked into um, see if there was any available books that I could teach myself um, and there was nothing on, on the market at all. So I then decided to write a children's book about it because I personally believe that if it featured more regularly in classrooms across the country, then we'd have a better chance of of bringing it forward into our adult lives. So I then got thinking this year would be a great year to launch a nationwide initiative to raise awareness and to get people at home learning it and to get it into schools with the launch of a school competition. So some people have asked me, well, why this year? And there's three very good reasons for this year and to raise awareness. It's because it's the decade of centenaries, as they say. And this year, this is the centenary of when the national anthem was first published. So our anthem was first written back in late 1909, early 1910 by Padre Carney and Patrick Heaney. And it was first originally written in English as the soldier's song. And the chorus was then translated into Irish later by Liam O'Rin. And it was published back in 1923. So this year is the centenary of when it was first published. So that, that's one good reason. And then the second one is that, as you know, Patricia, there's huge sporting events this year with mm. women's football and men's rugby World Cup. So we want to be able to sing our national anthem with pride in the crowds and not mumbling along beyond the first few lines. And then the third and final reason that I thought of as well is that there's no better time to be proud of our Irish culture and language. 
on Colleen Kuhn, as, as, as you, you know, is currently yeah. placing a huge focus yeah. on our Irish language at home and abroad. And we have Irish actors with Oscar nominations. So Ironavine is the most famous Irish song in the world. And, and I think we should all know it. It's only just over 60 seconds and it's 11 lines long from start to finish. So why not make this the year that we all get on board and unite to learn it together? Well done. Well done. And, and I do know, and we were only talking about uh, on Colleen Kuhn uh, last week on the programme, and I was making the point that the the one thing that that movie, besides it's, I mean, it's it's a, it's a beautifully filmed um, movie, but it shows what a gorgeous language our Irish language is. Oh. Even if you can't yeah. understand what they're saying, it's just such a lyrical language. It's lovely. It's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, you're spot on when you say that a lot of us, including myself, I've forgotten that I haven't unfortunately had the chance to speak it much since I've left school. But, you know, it, it is a lovely language. And, you know, I challenge anybody out there to read the, the words of the national anthem and how I teach it is that I, I have provided the, the English version. So we know what we're singing and, you know, we, you can sing a song more with depth of feeling when you know what the words mean. Mm. And the phonetic version is also provided in in the book for school children so this makes it easier for you know everybody to sing along and everybody is included in this campaign well i think that's the key to your book was the fact because when i got the book last year i was thinking i I, like you i mean i went through right through primary school right through secondary school learning irish and i'm uh, embarrassed to say i have little or no uh, irish uh, and 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 i bemoan the fact that i've little or no irish and i remember picking up the book saying i'm not going to be able to pronounce any of the the words you know other than the few lines that i know but the phonetical you've, you've you put it in phonetically so anyone can learn it from your book that's it, exactly. And it, it's an inclusive and cohesive nationwide effort. And um, I had the great news as well of um, finding out that I'm teaching the Ukrainian school in Cork. So um, this month in, well, sorry, should I say February? Next month, we're still, we're still in January. Next month, I'll be teaching them in time for St. Patrick's Day. And again, I'll be teaching the, the little Ukrainian children via the phonetics and oh. via the English version. So well, that's great. they'll be able to pronounce it. It's, it's a lovely project. And what has been the reaction to your book Rachel so the reaction mostly positive which is great Patricia because that shows me <clears throat> that the hunger is still there for us and you know the, the want to learn our national anthem means that people still very very much care about it um, I have had the slight comment that it says well you know is it not very very nationalistic uh, to be learning our na- national anthem but I, I disagree with that it's not being overly nationalistic to know our own anthem our, our national anthem is part of our cultural identity and it's part of who we are so we should all know it and there shouldn't be excuses that um you know it's 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 violent or it's militaristic i think that we can only compare our national anthem to other national anthems worldwide and i have done a little bit of research about this and even the american national anthem the the french national anthem like national anthems were written most of them over a hundred years ago so they were written in very different times Mm. and our own national anthem included like when it was written back in late 1909 early 1910 we were in a very different place back then so the trick i think to learning our national anthem today is to bring the words and the meaning into today's society and to make them more applicable and the more that i read and study the the meaning of our national anthem the more that we can still apply the words like for example the first three words that we all know which is sheena fina fall yeah 
yes, we're, we're still all soldiers and that, that means that we, we are soldiers. But what we're fighting for today is different. We fight together against things like bullying and unfairness and discrimination, things that we know are wrong. So we can make the words more applicable. And, you know, to use another quote, the, the, the next line of our national anthem is So that refers to people. So some people in Ireland have come from a land beyond the wave. And this can be seen as our tie to people who arrive on our shores from lands beyond the wave. And again, like in, in the wake of what is happening in Ukraine, that's very, very, very applicable. Relevant, we welcome yeah. people. Yeah. Exactly. We welcome people from lands beyond the wave. And it's true we, when we think about all the, the different nationalities living together now in Ireland. And we include everybody. No, nobody's left out. Mm. And they could never have foreseen over 100 years ago what a multicultural society we would become. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. It, it is important that we, you know, we, we teach our new nationalities arriving on our shores, our national anthem as well. And, you know, it's nice to, to learn a little bit about their anthem. So again, going back to the Ukrainian school, I'll, I'll be learning their anthem as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, and it, it just and it proves to me that we can you, get everybody on board. Yeah, and I think you make a very valid point about all the big sporting events that are happening uh, this year. I mean, every country you know, stands uh, stands up, chest out, and with great pride, people belt out their national anthem. Uh, and when you look at the majority of Irish people at, be it a GAA match or a soccer match or a rugby match or a ladies' soccer match, we most of us are mumbling the words. Yes, it is. It, it's absolutely what happens. And, I mean, I think sporting events... Although our national anthem is, is more than just about sporting events, it, it's at sporting events that you really realise yeah. that this is apparent of how few of us know it. And we should all be able to sing it. Now, I know that the GAA display the, the words um, so people can sing along, but it's much, much better if we if we learn it and we know it. And with the, the, the big rugby and the big football World Cups on the horizon now, let's all start to, to learn it together and that we can we can sing it with pride and, and not be shying away from it. Well done. Well, well done. Tell me about this school's competition that you, that you're running. Mm -hmm. So, well, the GAA have been brilliant and supportive of this initiative and they love the idea of the school competition. So we had a launch yesterday in, in Croke Park and um, emails will be sent tomorrow via schoolbooks.ie to all the schools in, in um, the country, inviting them to take place to a, a competition and there'll be a trophy awarded and a tour of the Croke Park Museum. So um, schools can enter in via learnouranthem.ie and there will be more information um, uploaded onto to that website now this afternoon and then the, the big group email to all the schools will be sent out tomorrow. So that's really exciting and children can upload via, with, their, with the help obviously of the teacher, can upload the video of them singing um, the national anthem and then it'll be sent to us here at Aberlin and then I'll be able to, to choose a winner. So it, it's, it's a more fun and That's engaging quite, way of getting it, children involved. Because I'm assuming, I mean, we still teach the national anthem in primary school, do we? What, what age do they traditionally learn the national anthem? So it's a good question, Patricia, because I, I believe that what happens is that it's down to the individual's and the individual teacher as to how and how it's taught and how often that it's taught. So around St. Patrick's Day, it's dust down and a black and white copy is sent, you know, passed around to the kids. So maybe once a year. 
some of the teachers do teach it. But I think that this is where we're going wrong. I, I think that if it featured more regularly in the classrooms, that, you know, we'd have a, have a better chance of carrying it forward into our adult lives. I mean, I'm certainly not saying that every day, like some countries, that the kids stand for the nat- and sing the national anthem. In front of the flag. It, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So not, nothing like this, but yeah. maybe even once a week yeah. or once a month that there's a there's an occasion where they do all sing it yeah. and, you know, sing it, sing it more regularly. Um, because it's not enforced on the curriculum. Um, so I think this this is this is where we're going wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and re- repetition is by far the best way to learn. Okay, somebody's wondering, is your book still on sale? And if so, where? Yes, so you can get it via learnouranthem.ie. That will take you directly to um, the Aberlin publishing site. So you can purchase the books individually there and schools. They can purchase the bundles via schoolbooks.ie. Okay. All right, listen, good luck with the uh, campaign, uh, Rachel, and continue good luck with the book. And thanks a million for Thank joining us so on the programme. Good morning to you. Thank uh, you bye bye. That bye is uh, Rachel J. Cooper, the author of that book, Learn Our Anthem. And says, Trisha, I learned the National Anthem in 1969 when I was in national school and I know it still. Uh, and says, I clearly remember having a notebook where we wrote down all the words of all the different songs that we learned in school. And Anne, I wondered, do you still have the notebook? 0818 103 103. You can call John Paul, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Somebody has said on the National Anthem, if they put the words up on large screens at all sporting events, more people would join in and more people wouldn't be mumbling the words. Well, Rachel said that a lot of the GAA matches, they, they do that. But isn't it the case? It's our National Anthem. We should actually know the words uh, as other countries will know the words of their national anthem we just seem to mumble our way through it I think that's the point of our campaign for everybody to actually sit down and to learn it without having to have a big screen in front of you to prompt the words thank you for your text to 0862103103 now isn't it shocking to hear from an animal rescue charity that Ireland is in the midst of a pig crisis as more people are deciding to abandon their pandemic pets to discuss what's going on I'm joined by Cathy Davy. Kathy is co-founder. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ...of My Lovely Pig Rescue, which is based in uh, County Kildare. Good morning, Cathy. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well and and thank you for taking our call. Now, we've spoken to people like Dogs Trust. We've spoken with local dog uh, charities about the number of surrender of the so-called pandemic puppies when everybody rushed out and thought it was a great idea to get a puppy when they were all at home during lockdown and then realised when they headed back to work they didn't have the time or the inclination to look after these gorgeous little dogs. But people don't often, Cathy, think about pigs as pets. Mm. Do they, no, everyone do they, is surprised. <laughs> do, do they make good pets? They make great pets if you have the right knowledge. And the problem that we're seeing is people are rushing into getting these animals they've seen on Instagram without the knowledge um, and without the proper facilities. So, so pigs are very smart and very strong. And that combination can wreak havoc. Um, they also suffer greatly from um, companion loss um, and because they're so smart, they get very upset very easily if they don't have enrichment and stimulation. And all of this leads to behavioural issues. Um, so this is the problem we're seeing. People are taking advantage of the pandemic and people staying at home and maybe thinking, oh, nice, the time I can get uh, one of these pigs that I've been pandering after. Um, and people were just, you know, they're able to breed them. They make mums will have 15 babies. And people are just seeing dollar signs um, and uh, not preparing the the owners. Yeah. And are they affectionate animals? Pardon? Are they affectionate? Yeah, they're incredibly affectionate. Um, we have a, a pig in UCD, Veterinary Hospital at the moment, Neo, um, who is suffering greatly from being away from home and the people that he knows. And they go into huge depressions. Um, especially when they're surrendered by people who the pig is bonded with, but the owner hasn't necessarily bonded with them or has uh, less time for them. And they come here, and even though we have lots of pigs, lots of volunteers, we're not the people that they know. And they go down. And it's um, heartbreaking because they just are social animals. A lot lot of people, I think, are going to be surprised to hear that. It's not something we associate pigs as as, uh, social animals. And of course, when somebody buys one, they buy it as uh, a little bonnet, so it's small. I mean, what size do they grow to? So that's one of the main things. People are selling piglets saying that they'll stay 70, 80 kg, say like a a cocker spaniel or something. But, But pet pigs generally... If they're potbelly pigs, they're generally not, that's not a pure breed. It's a classification, so they probably have other breeds of pigs in them. And and as genetics will always happen, there will be throwbacks to their larger ancestors. So we have a pig who is 240 kilograms. He was sold as a micro pig oh. to the owner, um, and that's repeated several times around the farm. Um, three pigs from Cork, actually. They were sold as teacup pigs and they were actually Hampshire pigs. So they're about 270 kilograms Oh, each. my God. And people aren't prepared for it. And also, people are not as adaptable, maybe, as, as we would like. They, they don't then 
have the space to be able to expand their enclosures or they don't have the skills to increase the size of their shelter. So then you have welfare problems where animals aren't getting what they need. Pigs get very cold. Pneumonia is a big killer for them. Um, and we have this idea that pigs are, love mud and they don't get cold, whereas in fact, all of their hair has been bred out of them. They can't keep themselves insulated and they really need a dry bed. So um, we have it all a little bit backwards. Um, and uh, that's why we set up My Lovely Pig Rescue, so that we can have uh, an educational tool as well for people. If they do want to get pigs as pets, they can adopt one, but they can do it properly. They can get the training and the support that they need. And when you talk about micro pigs, and I think you referenced teacup pigs, <coughs> it, is there such a is there such a breed of pig? Are there small pigs? Um, there are small pigs. There is such a thing as a mini pig or a Juliana, um, but you have to be very careful. Uh, you, uh, there's there's not re- I don't think there's any breeders in Ireland that I'm aware of who who have them. Um, there's a small pig, and it's uh, it can be about 110 kilograms is probably the smallest that you can buy in Ireland. Um, smaller than that would be very rare. Um, it's it's also due to very small pigs. If they're inbred and not fed properly, they will stay small. So oh. then you again have welfare deficits. Yeah, there. absolutely. Absolutely. And the people that took on these pigs as, as pets, I'm assuming they did it with very little knowledge about their care, or as you say, the big one is that they'd never realised the size. Is is that what you're hearing from people when they're surrendering them? Yeah, they weren't aware of, of how much um, work was involved or how big they'd get. Um, and also, much the same we see with, with dogs is that people maybe are a little impulsive, uh, rush into it because it's excitement and you want to love this animal. And the novelty wears off come wintertime when paddocks become very mucky, animals are breaking out and you're in the middle of the wind and the rain and you're having to try and fix fences. Because if a pig isn't getting what it needs in its enclosure, it's going to get out to find it if you don't have proper proper fencing. And and I think the, the knowledge of the strength of these muscly little animals is not there. So a bit of research, um, you can do your piggy training with us. You don't have to adopt from us, but we're more than happy to, to provide the knowledge needed because people are buying pet pigs and then when they don't want them, the dealer won't take them back. And so we're getting, a, we have a long waiting list. We'd rather try and tackle this with education. Mm. And then I'm assuming you'll have uh, the unscrupulous people then who will just simply abandon them. Is, is, is that a problem, you know, in a, in a wood or in a rural area? Yes. Are pigs being abandoned? Huge problem, yeah. We we had to take in 15 pigs that had been dumped in a forest in Cavan, um, six pigs dumped in a woods in Navin, um, th- three pigs in Kilkenny. Um, it's a very easy thing to load pigs onto trailers at night time and, and empty them out in a, in a forest or on a bog or in a country lane. Pigs are being thrown over people's walls wow. um, when pregnant. Um, there's you know, we hear an awful lot about dogs and there's a huge dog problem. There's a huge goat problem and cat problem and horse problem. And my lovely horse rescue have, you know, we've expanded to to have um, to have our department in, in those areas. But I think the, the pig problem is some somewhere that because we're the we're the only pig rescue in Ireland, um, it, it's funneling to us and we don't have the room for all of this, uh, all of these animals. 
Do you try and find adoption homes for some of them, Cathy? Yeah, we we do, but adoption rate is very slow because you have to have a peer card number to uh, to move animals legally, um, and that that kind of scares people away. And then because we're very robust, with you must do your piggy training and you must be home checked, and then we'll have recommendations for the fencing and for the shelter type to prevent bounce back and to pre- and to make life easier for the owner, and to provide you know, significant support. Um, all of that seems maybe quite like a quite a, quite a lot of work for people. Um, and so by the end of it, we probably have six adoptions a year. But oh, we're okay. taking in we're yeah. taking in 40 pigs a year. Yeah. So the numbers and, don't and, add up. And I'm also thinking, you say you've a waiting list, have you, of, of people who want to surrender a pig? Yes. Yeah. Is there also, do you have a worry then that there could be people out there who will say, oh, I'll take that pig off you and it'll end up being slaughtered. Is that, is that a real risk, something that was a pet? It is, yeah. Oh. That, that's, a, that's a genuine risk. That's actually why we set up because the, the number of unwanted pigs on done deal where they should not be allowed to be sold because there's no, there's no regulations on there for pigs. Um, people are able to buy them up and home slaughter. Now, they're not able to take them to a registered slaughterhouse because if they don't have pig herd numbers they can't be accepted but that doesn't stop people doing it to someone you know an animal that had been raised and loved and petted and got to know humans as their friends being taken um, for that purpose is very upsetting and obviously the person passing it the 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 original owner would have no idea that that was going on Exactly. I would yeah. just say to original owners to do your home checks. If if you do need to move a pig on somewhere, just make sure you go visit the place where they're saying it'll be brought to and make sure it's, it's, it's up to standards. And you, as you say, you are the only pig shelter in Ireland. How many pigs do you currently have? We have, well, we had six piglets born yesterday morning <laughs> by cesarean section. <laughs> Um, and we have three other litters of pigs. We have 152 in our care at the moment, um, and 12 pigs on the My Lovely Horse farm as well. And the the plan is they will just live out their days? Um, We would love them to be able... I'd say probably a quarter of those, or half of them now, there's so many piglets, um, wouldn't have behavioural issues and wouldn't have... Uh, health issues so they'd be adoptable Um, it's just we don't have the the same number of humans looking for for pigs uh, to adopt you need to have do you need to have a lot of space you need um, yeah you need a a, a fair bit of space but more is adaptability so if your area of land gets flooded where will you move the animals to to keep them dry so it's just a little forward thinking but uh, all of that information is actually on our Facebook page on a pinned post. And we have a video of a perfect spot and the type of shelter needed and the type of fencing. So anyone who's interested can go and look on there. And, and, and what, what can you do then to stimulate them during the day? And, and do you need to do anything? I mean, you can't take the pig for a walk like you would with a dog. But what can you do with a pig? Um, a pig is very, very happy with belly rubs from its human and the enrichment <laughs> that they need, the, 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 the behaviour of the pig is they have to be rooting and searching and finding food. Okay. So we have lots of innovative toys. We, for our number of animals, we use silage and haylage with treats 
trickled on top. So they're using their nose to find these little goodies that they get a little stimulation from. So that's a great source of enrichment. They love grass. So if you have a nice field, an acre of field um, that you can fence up, they'll eat the grass. They will churn it and then you can fence it off and rest it for winter. Grass grow back and then they'll have, you know, seven months of grass the next year. Um, but but the main thing that pigs want, if if they were adopted from us, it would be pigs who are human companions. So they will love their human and they want to see their human and get scratches. They're very much like a dog. Would you prefer that they get adopted in twos so that they've got piggy company? Yeah, they're always adopted in at least okay. two and never never on their own. Yeah, it's a bit like the we we have the donkey <coughs> sanctuary just down the road from us here. Exactly. Uh, in Niscarol and, and they, they yeah. always, because they're so their companion animals as well that they like to be with uh, another donkey uh, Maura says um, hi Trish uh, pigs are beautiful and they make great security animals the Vietnamese pot belly are fab says Maura do they make good security <laughs> do they make good security animals uh, it depends she, uh, maybe she has a, a little boar who, who is quite excited by oh. by visitors yeah, um, yeah they, they can do they'll definitely alert you if they're a nice little active pig um, they all have very different characters. You know, we have little pigs here who will make loads of noise when someone comes along, others who are shyer and will hold back. Um, but I would say that uh, their main, main purpose should be to 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 live and be adored because I love pigs. We all do at My Lovely Horse Rescue and, and they're our gods. <laughs> Mary uh, says, could you please ask your guest, our guest is uh, Kathy Davey, co-founder of My Lovely Pig Rescue. Um, where do people get the pigs from as there is traceability on, on farm animals? So who's actually selling the pigs? So there are people who are breeding them under the radar. Um, I mean, I don't want to be advertising where to buy pigs without yeah, registration. Okay. Um, but um, there are registered breeders and there are some uh, reputable breeders. Personally, we have too many pigs here. We castrate every animal that's that's here um, and um, I really don't think it should be allowed at the moment until we get on top of this problem. Um, But they... Yeah, I'm not comfortable talking about where they I are. Know, I, would I know, I know. Just adopt. But what, yeah, <laughs> what we need to do is we need to stop people buying them as pets. That will stop the trade. And if you really want one, then you adopt one. That's the, the message. The thing is to adopt because we, if if something goes wrong, we we take the pig back, and it's actually a loan agreement. You know, so if anything goes wrong medically, we actually cover the costs. Um, and you will always have support from us if something, if their health or behavioural issues, we come out and see if we can solve it. Um, I mean, that's really the only way that anyone should get an animal is by having support so the animal mm. isn't left with nowhere to go. And this is a problem in lots of countries where people buy an animal, it doesn't work out where does the animal go because all of the rescue centres are full. So the only way to get a goat or a dog or a cat or a horse should really be by adoption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a text in saying, um, did Cathy ever see a pig cry? And this listener says, I'm not being funny in asking that question, but have you ever seen a pig cry? Yeah, I know there are, there are lots of funny things going around about pigs, but some of them are based in fact. And yes, one of our pigs, Penelope, was in for box rest when she had an injury and she saw her two, her, her father and her best friend were out in the field and she stood at the gate and she cried. Um, so there was 
water coming out of her Tears. eyes and she was and she was wailing and it was heartbreaking um they have a huge capacity for emotion when when pig's companions uh um die their immune system plummets same as donkeys this is why they're they're adopted in twos their immune system plummets and they get really sick um and it's it's the same as heartbreak. If if our hearts are broken, our immune system goes down. It's exactly yeah. the same for pigs. My goodness, my goodness. And your rescue, uh, Cathy, how is it funded? Uh, by the public, by public uh, donations. No state funding? We do actually get a, a grant um, from the department every year. Um, and the department have uh, increased that uh, every year, which is great. Um, but but the majority of our funding comes from the public. Okay, and that's and I'm I'm assuming it's it's vet bills, it's 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 feed. It's vet bills, feed, bedding, um, transport. It's uh, uh, absolutely everything. Maintenance, building. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, everything. Well, you're doing incredible uh, work, Cathy. Uh, I have to say, long may you continue. I hope the day comes when we'll never need animal rescues uh, like what you're doing yeah. at the moment. But un- unfortunately, that's not the reality. Uh, yeah. But I thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. I really enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Good Thanks morning so to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Cathy Davy there, uh, co-founder of my lovely pig rescue, the only pig shelter in Ireland, and they're based in County Kildare. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A couple of texts in with regard to the interview we carried in the last hour about pet pigs, and unfortunately, some people took them on as pandemic pets. And then realised they weren't able to look after the animals. And that's where the pig rescue has uh, come in. Sheila says, Patricia, I had a lovely pig as a pet a few years ago. She lived in the house, slept in my bed until she got too big. Then she slept in the hallway. And then one day she wandered down the garden and found the hay shed where she made a nest. And she slept in there from then on. But she still would occasionally potter into the house. I could have a two-way conversation with her. They're extremely intelligent animals. And that's the one thing that Cathy says, said as well, that a lot of people don't realise the intelligence level of uh, pigs and Jim says Patricia celebrities like Paris Hilton Miley Cyrus the Beckhams and George Clooney all have pet pigs and they can be walked on a lead but you have to walk at the pig's pace and that could be one of the reasons when you have celebrities taking on these unusual animals as because you don't traditionally associate a pig with certainly in this country as pets but when you see celebrities doing it that then puts it into the mind of others to go oh, I'd love a pet pig but without properly researching it and that's what Cathy Davy of the Pig Rescue was saying people you know who want to take on a pig as a pet you need to research the care and attention that they need 0818103103 I want to go to the phone lines because we've been contacted by one of our listeners who's emailed in quite a detailed uh, story about how she's fallen between two stools when it comes to accessing a social welfare payment and rather than just reading out the email we said the easiest way was to bring Maura who's not a real name to join us on the programme just to outline what is going on and to see if we can get any help or if anybody else has any suggestions. Good afternoon to you Maura. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and, and you really have fallen between two stools here. I suppose we need to start kind of at the beginning here. You were a full-time carer, so I suppose start by outlining who you were caring for and how long you fulfilled that role as a full-time carer. Um, I was caring for both my parents. Uh, my father died in 2011 at the age of 92 and my mother died in February of last year at the age of 91. 
Um, I became quite ill in 2009 myself, but I continued to care for my parents. And um, I continued to care for them up until my mother died in February of 2022. So you went on a carer's allowance, was it from 2009? Yes, I was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you were you were doing this wonderful care that you did willingly and uh, for you, for both yes. for both of your parents. And then sadly, you lost your mum. Oh, like, and it's it's not even a. It's coming up to the first anniversary, so I'm I'm very conscious uh, of that. Yeah. So after yeah. your mother passed away, what happened then to your carers' allowance? The carers was paid in for twelve weeks after my mother's death. That was until sometime in May and in the meantime I had applied for disability allowance because of I have a lot of health problems including a heart condition okay. diabetes um, hypothyroidism um, anxiety and I felt I would not be able to return to the workforce That and I'm on 15 tablets a day for my various conditions mm. So, I, so you, apply, you applied for the disability allowance and what do they say? That I wasn't sufficiently incapacitated. You weren't sick enough? I wasn't sick enough, basically. But I mean, um, they don't know what the person feels like. I mean, I know what I'm able for and what I'm not able for. And, 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 you, and you're still of working age, according to the Department I mean, of, of Social Welfare? I am. I'm 62. Okay. 63 next month. 63 next month. Okay. So, so they said no to the disability allowance. Uh, yes. uh, and what do they suggest? What pay, what payments you should go on? They suggested I should go on the job seekers allowance, uh, which I did apply for, and which was also refused because they said I wasn't actively seeking work. I mean, how could I be actively seeking work when I didn't feel able to work? I mean, uh, that was not here nor there. I um, I appealed board decisions and lost board appeals, unfortunately. And then the, I got supplementary welfare and rent allowance at that stage. Okay. And then that was all stopped in October. Of last year now, and um, on the basis that I was a joint owner of a house in which my son lives. And and are you and joint owner of this house? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Uh, you see, the family situation is what we say a bit complicated. My son lives there with his partner and their two children. Okay. And I live elsewhere I had done with my mother for four or five years and um, I mean I, I get no income out of that house nothing so, absolutely so, nothing so you moved out of the family home with your mother yes I did about four or five years ago and you moved and where did you move to you're in well, you're in you're in um, are you in a rented accommodation Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. And then your son, and you moved out because the house was better suited to your son, his partner, and their two children. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. it, yeah. And you were able to afford, along with your mother, the rented accommodation, and everything was fine until yes. now. Until now. 
and 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 so so they're saying because you have a half share in a house that you don't live in are are they saying that your son should pay you part rent for the house yeah but he's not in a position to pay the rent his partner is now seriously ill they have two young children and he has enough on his place uh, I mean, what benefit? I mean, what rent would I even get out of it? They claim the house is worth two hundred thousand euro, which it isn't, because I have had it officially valued and it's worth one hundred twenty-five thousand. And I know that myself, even looking at it, I know the house is not worth that money, like two hundred thousand euro. So I mean, what rent would they even put on it? And as I say, he has had a lot of problems in the past two years because of his partner being ill. And, and, and there's two children there. And there's two young children there. And are they, d- did I also read that they suggested you move back into the house? Yes, they did, which I would not do. I would not move in, whether his partner was ill or not, I would not move in with my son and his family. Why should I? I mean, that wouldn't work. You know, with uh, a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, I mean, it don't often worked out well anyway, in any case. But even even if yeah, if you yeah. move if you moved back in, would you then be entitled to a social welfare payment, did they say? Oh, they say yes. Yes. I would. Oh that's just crazy, isn't it? But I mean, first of all the house is not big enough. Secondly okay. I have no intention of moving in where there are two young children with my health with my health conditions. Not full time, I couldn't I mean it wouldn't work. And I presumably Myself and his partner wouldn't get on. I mean, two women under the one roof. I mean, it might be different if it was a mother and daughter. But you, you want you want to be independent anyway. You want yes, your of own. Of course I do. Yeah. That's all I want. And, and to be independent. And you're rented. Uh, how are you managing? So are you on no payment at the moment? I'm on no payment at the moment. My sister, who doesn't live in this country, has came over specially at Christmas to try and help me out. Um, she has done her best. She can't support me. She has to support herself, uh, which is quite expensive where she lives anyway. Like, I mean, she did her best at Christmas to try and help me out to try, so that I could pay the rent, so that I could pay, hold on to the house. Because if I lost the house, it meant I was homeless. I had no, I have nowhere else to go. I'm not going in with my son. I'm not making, I'm not selling the house. And um, where where would I end up? I mean, I would be homeless basically if I didn't give onto this house. Have you have you tried for illness benefit? I have tried for everything, and everything has been refused. I have tried to get an appointment to see a community welfare officer in my local area. All I'm ever told is there's nobody on site. Uh, I do get the occasional phone call from somebody in social protection. And, I mean, what she said to me was that if I ever repeated what she said, she denied the whole lot of it. That was about telling telling lies about um, applying for the job seekers. She told me to tell lies, basically, to get the job seekers. 
with it if I ever repeated it. Oh she, oh, she told you to tell that. All right, OK, but you, 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 yeah. you didn't. But, 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 but you're basically saying as a, a 62, nearly 63-year-old uh, yeah. woman who, who doesn't have good health and, you know, has spent the last over 10, nearly 15 years working as a full-time carer. Yes. I mean, wh- wh- what th- wh- where are they asking you to find work? What, I mean, what kind of work are they suggesting? Well, sure, what kind, what kind of work? Well, they were suggesting sedentary work, but you see, sedentary work is not suitable for me either because I need to have so much exercise. I can't sit in the one place for too long on account of, well, now at the moment I have joint pains, which doesn't help matters, but on account of having diabetes and things, you cannot sit around for ages on end. You know, you have to move about. I know what I'm capable of. I can do my own things here at home under my own steam, as they say. Uh, but you see, I become exhausted very quickly. Yeah, and we're talking about, I mean, you say you're 63 next month. So, I'd yes. say, I'd, you know, you're, you're not that far off of claiming the state pension. So it's only for, no. we're only talking about three years at the yes. most. But it's to, yes. it's to yes. find a payment I mean, it, it's a community welfare officer that needs to sit down across the table from you for you to outline what you've outlined to me and, and everything that's happened so far in your life and for, and for him to make a decision, even if you get, even if you're left on the sub, supplementary welfare lines. I just find it all bizarre that you have a half share in a house that you don't live in, that that yes. has become part of your means is, is what they're saying. Yeah. It would be very different if you had a half share in a house that you were privately renting out to somebody yeah. and you were yeah. making income. I would be the first one to say, well, hang on, I would take you're making yeah. an income out of that. But you're able to prove that your son is living there with his wife, his partner yeah. who's not well, well two young children. Family. They're not paying you any any rent because no. they can't afford to pay you any rent. No. Moving in is is not an option. Somebody needs to see this in black and white and realise, you know, none of those options can work for you. So therefore, this is the payment that you should be on. I mean, listing out everything that's wrong with you. And I, I know the disability allowance is quite a strict criteria, but I can't understand why you don't fall in under the illness benefit that you would stay on then until you reach 66 when you're entitled to a state pension. But as far as I know, you see, illness benefit goes on credits. And as I wasn't working publicly, we'll say, or whatever we like to call it, I was a carer for my parents. Of course, I didn't have any credits. I don't know exactly how that works. I mean, I yeah. find it and, 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 and were, you, were you working up to 2009, you were? I was, yes. Yeah, and then you became unwell and that just coincided with yes. the caring role kicking in, yeah. Yes, more yeah, or less. Yeah. OK, I know uh, we have, uh, w- w- without divulging your name, obviously, where you are, I know John Paul has sent yes. it on to Citizens Information because yes. um, they are fantastic because we want them to kind of go through it with a fine tooth comb because they'll know uh, what you're entitled to, what you're not entitled to. But in the meantime, here you are since October, October. of last yes. year, with no payments? No payments, nothing whatsoever. I have €155 Euro in the credit union. That's the only money I have in the whole world. I'm leaving that there in case if, ever I need an, if there was an emergency. That's the only money I have, and it can all be proved, it can all be checked. I have nothing. 
They were bringing out, I had means of €270 on on the understanding that I had a half share in the house, which my son lives in. But that €270 might be on paper, but I don't have it. I have never gotten a cent out of that house. Yeah, that's yeah, that's and that's an asset. That it's a, an asset that's not making money for you, and and, and you're and you're not going to sell the house and put your son and no, grandchildren out on I'm the side of the street. That. My son was to have the house in any case, whether he had a partner or not. He was to get the house anyway. Like, I mean, he was my only child. But the thing about it, Patricia, is why should social welfare destroy somebody's life? Why should they take away my independence, my dignity? Uh, the only means I had of survival, as I say, if I had money stashed away or if I had property left somewhere, different, just a whole different thing. Every case should be assessed individually. Yeah, there's, person's there's no age, two cases health, the same. A person's age, health, their uh, lifestyle, um, Everything should be taken into account. Family circumstances should be taken into account. And, I'm not saying been... that there shouldn't be rules and regulations. Of course there should. But rules were made to be broken as well. I mean, they're not the guardie, they're not the law. Why should I be worse off than an actual prisoner? Why should I be worse off than a criminal? They have rights. I mean, what rights have I got? None. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's not that you want—it's not, not that you want them to break the rules, but they can bend them slightly. They yes. can—they can look yes. at a case and see, look at it with a bit of compassion, a bit of empathy, and, you know, and exactly. look at a the humanity. Yeah, a bit, a, a, a bit, a bit of humanity. Um, yes. I, I, I'm just—I'm. How are you managing the rent? I'm managing the rent, as I say. My sister came home at Christmas, and she would basically gave me some bit of money that would cover so many months' rent okay. from me. That's not going to last forever, though. No, 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 no. And it's going down very quickly. Uh, the Vincent de Paul have called and they have helped out as best they can. Uh, as you know, they are inundated with people looking for help. They can't do more than, you know, just the basics. Uh, as I say, I have lost everything. Now, I never had a flash lifestyle. I never went abroad. I never had new clothes. My clothes I always bought in the charity shop for years back. I, all I ever wanted was just enough money to live on. I never wanted for anything else. I was happy enough with that. So, yeah, I spent my life, I suppose, caring for other people. Cause that was just my nature. That's mm. the way I lived. And, and as, as well, long as I had enough to live on, that's all I need. The fact you were a full-time carer, look yes. how much you saved the state Yes. If your mother and your father, God be good to the pair of them, if they had ended up in nursing home care, it would have cost well, the state a lot more than your weekly carers allowance. They'd never have ended up in nursing uh, in nursing care if I had my health was there. As regards, I'd never have allowed that to happen because it was their wish, both of their wishes, to die at home, which they both did. They were very good, decent people. And as I say, I don't regret a day of looking after them. But as I say, now I have ended up with nothing. I mean, I have no one to, what we say, I have nothing to live on. I mean, that's not even, as I say, that's not humane. I mean, certainly investigate the case if they wanted to. But I mean, I have all the facts, all the facts can be proved. 
Okay. Surely because God, nobody should be cut off completely yeah, without well, any well, that's source why of that, income. That's why that supplementary welfare allowance is there. It's, yeah. it's to catch people who fall between the two stools until yeah. they can sort out what payment uh, you are entitled to. OK, as I say, we we have passed this on to yeah. uh, citizen information and we will pass on your number, uh, etc. Uh, because I think they are going to need to, uh, to, to chat with you. But I certainly think yeah. uh, an appointment to sit across a table and I, I wanted across the table not not corresponding with somebody by letter you need yes. to physically sit down and eyeball a community welfare officer and try to get to the bottom of this and that's where citizen information would be great to advise yes. you listen we'll stay in contact with you all right yes. and okay. um, and just look after yourself that's the most important thing and is, is your is your son is your son good to you do you do you see your son and the grandchildren and the and oh i do you i do, do. Okay. I, I look after them as best i can as my health allows like I know. And I love him dearly, of course. I know, I know, we <laughs> like know. any son. <laughs> Irish mammies, there's nothing like the sun. Okay, we'll stay. We'll stay in contact. All right. Okay. okay look Thank after. You very much. Look after yourself. God, that's just, it. It really is um, heartbreaking. Someone says, "Tell that unfortunate woman to acquire a foreign national citizenship, and she'll get whatever she wants because that's what's happening in this country. We elect politicians to look after us and our needs in this country." And instead, it seems to be foreigners are getting the cream. It's an absolute disgrace. My heart breaks for that poor woman. Martin says, Patricia, that poor woman uh, who can't get a disability payment. This sort of thing sickens me. Maybe the social welfare or the government have no money because they're paying out money left, right and uh, centre to others. Also, Patricia, I know of a few people who are getting disability payments and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. What a laugh this country is. We're a laughing stock for the whole world. We are way behind every other country in everything. If I had money in the morning, I'd move abroad somewhere else to live. Any place has to be better than this uh, country. It's becoming uh, ridiculous, says Martin. And I can see a lot of people feeling a great sympathy and a great sorrow for, for more. I just think at her age. And, you know, listen, also bear in mind that her mother, who she had looked after since 2009, only passed away February of last year. So she's coming up to the first anniversary of her mother's death. And she's been having all of this, you know, throughout last year. So she really hasn't even had time to properly grieve for her mother as well. OK, as I say, we were passing it on to citizens information and the guys and girls there are fantastic. And we're hoping that they will be able to get to the bottom of it and just point her in the right direction of what she needs to do and doesn't need to do. And I know with means testing um, you've got to dot the I's cross the T's and the means testing can be quite strict and all of that but there still has to be some kind of payment for a, a 62 year old woman who has you know spent the last number of years in a full time caring role to suddenly take everything away from her and uh, you know almost like saying to her let her paddle her own canoe just seems wrong on so many levels 0818 103 103 uh, John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie Bingo is continuing in Bosford Tonight 8 o'clock Jackpot 3,700 euro Everyone is welcome Shambhali Moore Bingo also on tonight Another 8 o'clock start With the same jackpot 3,700 And tickets go on sale today For St Mary's Secondary School Mallow 
post production of Heartbreak Hotel, which opens on Wednesday, the 8th of February. You can phone the school office 022 21998 for tickets. They cost 10 euro for adults, 5 euro for children and students. And can Turk Community Astros Turf are holding their AGM tonight, 8 o'clock, and that's in the Del Quinn Hall. Everyone welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Court Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. And by the way, just on a breaking news from the GAA, the GAA Central Competitions Control Committee, the CCCCC, has ordered a replay of the All-Ireland football uh, final. It's following a hearing last night involving representatives from McGlenn and Kilmacad Crods. Kilmacad won, of course, the original fixture by two points the weekend before last, but they had 16 active players on the field for the closing stages of the game. The Dublin champions will now have three days to appeal the CCCC's decision if they wish to do so. God, that's just going on and uh, on. And a number of people commenting on Maura and Maura's case and particularly the fact that she couldn't get the disability allowance. Kieran in Yaw says if her doctor was any good, he surely would make representation for her with forms to be filled in, making it a priority. She needs to be prioritised to go on a disability uh, allowance. Uh, Surely her GP can help her out. Helen says, I was in a similar situation. I had to fight with my GP in order to get the disability allowance. My circumstances were slightly different as I did not have my name on a house, as Maura has outlined, but I did receive money from work, which affected my payments. But the GP should be able to fight for her. Mary says her community welfare officer should be able to assist but she needs to have all the forms fully completed. And then, uh, and this wasn't the reason that Maura came on to the programme. Uh, she came on to see if we could help her out in any way with getting it um, sorted out with the department. But a businessman who doesn't want to be named has just rang and has uh, offered um, €500 Euro just to help Maura out at, at the moment. So we will uh, exchange numbers. And as I say, that wasn't the reason that Maura came on the programme. She wasn't looking for anything like that, but it's a very, very kind offer on behalf of a Cork business who doesn't want to be named so uh, thank you for uh, that uh, Hi Patricia how are you doing I'm so sorry for that poor lady Maura who as you pointed out saved the state millions by caring for her beloved parents so well it never ceases to amaze me how cruel some state bodies can be when it comes to helping out the vulnerable but they can hand out money to people who are well capable of helping themselves surely this lady has to have some credits from all of her years of caring and they should help with illness benefits etc thinking of her and feeling so sad for her says uh, Michael and that seems to be how a lot of people are uh, feeling and just very quickly on the lights issue with the street light somebody said I reported a street light it was at the back of my house last year it was actually fixed within two weeks I didn't there wasn't a number on the pole it was with an old light but all I gave them was my postcode I live in Bandon but that was rectified in uh, two weeks and that was last year I don't know if there's an issue at the moment maybe it's to do with parts or something I don't know but I know Councillor Declan Hurley was on to us earlier as well 
and uh, he was saying he's having problems for various areas in West Cork and we've passed on the number, the poll and the area and he's going to see if he can uh, help uh, speed up the process uh, for the listener who joined us from Canturk. So we'll keep you posted on that. And then someone else wants to highlight, John wants to highlight, uh, and my apologies, I didn't get to this uh, yesterday. He wants to highlight what he says is a hazard with the pedestrian crossing at Supervalue in McCroom. He said the red light comes on to stop the traffic. Then the amber light flashes and cars are moving off. But the green man is still flashing for at least another 10 seconds until the green light goes for traffic to take off, which means if the green man is flashing, pedestrians can still walk across. The timing is wrong. Somebody's going to get knocked down. But of course, because the amber light is flashing, cars think it's okay to uh, go. That needs to be uh, looked at. We need to go on to somebody in McCroom the council in McCroom uh, to alert that because I don't know if anybody has let them know it seems that they're some way out of sync. 0818103103 John Paul continues to take your calls. We're going to take a quick break and then we're back talking about St Bridget's Day and the eve of St Bridget's Day. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now as we spoke about earlier tomorrow is the 1st of February and our National Female Patron Saints Feast Day. St. Bridget has been described as a Celtic goddess, a Christian matron, a saint, a feminist, a farmer and of course she was a 5th century female bishop. So to discuss some of the traditions around a law fail a breed I'm joined by Michael Fortune of the a Living Online Archive Folklore.ie Good afternoon to you Michael. Good, uh, good afternoon. And it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I suppose the biggest tradition is the making of the St. Bridget's Cross. Just talk to me about that and, and the tradition where it comes from and how they should be made. Yeah, it's one of the things I suppose so many of us will connect with because we probably either made them in school or we learned from someone how to how to make them. Uh, it's a it's a tradition that we were, I suppose the, the standard St. Bridges Cross that we know, the classic St. Bridges Cross, the Rush Cross that was that we all know is I suppose became very popular. I I believe it was, it was RT when RT RT logo. That's that's what started it. That planted that particular cross design in in people's minds. Now there are photographs of that cross design going back to about nineteen ten from Antrim, um, but there are loads of different regional styles. Patricia, when you go around the country, you'll see versions in in Mid Kerry. You'll see versions in West Waterford, and I'm sure probably in Cork as well. If you went looking around, you'll find them in County Clare, North Clare, and Galway. There's a very particular style design. A little not even a rush cross or not even a straw cross a little wooden cross that was nailed up to the rafters or up to the doors so I suppose St Bridget was all the cross was always used as a kind of a way to people felt it protected the home it protected the livestock you'd find a lot in in, 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 in dairies around the country anywhere that's any farmer any dairy farmer in Cork now will probably will probably I say a lot of them will have a St Bridget's cross somewhere somewhere near the cattle yeah and the tradition is you collect the rushes today and you make them today yeah, yeah. The idea is, and again, this it's it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? We sometimes we assume all these traditions run all around the country, right? But yeah. they weren't. Certain country, parts of the country were really strong. Donegal, for some reason, is very very strong. But in Donegal, I've been working up there for years, and 
what the, the tradition would be that you collect the rushes before sunset and you'd bring them in. Usually the youngest child in the house would bring them over the threshold and bring them in. And then the family would get together and the family would sit down and they'll make the crosses. And um, sometimes it'd have poundies of the north to use that word poundies. I suppose we'd use call cannon or any kind of mashed buds. I suppose mashed buds were always a treat. So people would have that. That was always something to really look forward to. And then you'd make the crosses and sometimes you'd make little bands. You'd put them on your head for headaches and you'd leave them out tonight and you'd leave them out then before you went to bed. And the idea was that Bridget would come along and bless them. And then you'd bring them back in then. You see, and, give them to and the one I associate with the eve of St. Bridget's Day is leaving out a white cloth. Yeah, no, again, and that's a lovely one. Different names in the country. Some people call it Brat Breed and Bratock Breed. More call it just Bridget's Cloak. So your one is, is the white one. I've had the, the blue one or the red one here in, in, in Wexford. The red one is tied in with the red flannel. A lot of older listeners here might remember the red flannel. If you had a chesty cop years ago, there was always a red flannel, maybe with a bit of goose grease put, put in your chest. Uh, a lot of people would leave out. I remember talking to a woman in West Waterford there a while ago. She'd get her husband's tie. So I had these visions of this kind of 1980s, really dodgy <laughs> looking tie being left out. And she says, I'll leave it out. And she, when I've got a headache, I put it onto the head. I was met a group of women last night and they leave their scarves out. Um, so a lot around the throat and a lot around headaches. And then some people then would use it then as well, maybe for a torn in her finger. I've come across people talking about that. But it's lovely as well. A woman in Donegal had a great one. She was telling me years ago, said that her, her grandmother and them, they always left out the jumpers. They'd leave out the yeah. little children's jumpers as well for her to bless. So it depends. There's no, there's the great thing about folklore and this, this area of work, there's no right or wrong. And I always keep saying that to people, you'd meet some people sometimes, uh, Patricia, and they're always looking for the right answer. You know that kind of way? I yeah. want to go back and I want to find out. What, and I said, just forget about that. Just enjoy what the difference is. You know, that's what makes it's you know um but yeah leave, leaving that out um and that's that's another another lovely thing um to do another lovely thing another lovely part of the of the, of the day yeah and i i have a simbridge's cross one of the ones made out of uh, of the rushes that is over my front door and it was made by a very uh, well-known teacher sadly no longer with us uh, mary v crowley she used to make them with the school children and she gave me one many many years ago and i have it over my front door is is that where you're meant to place it yeah, they're always up on a height. Um, up on a height over the doors is always the place you'll see them. Anywhere there was an entrance, and I suppose even with, I suppose the blessed palm can go over if you're Catholic. The blessed palm goes over the Sacred Heart in some people's houses. More people put it over doors as well. So the door was always an important thing in any any aspect of our folklore. The doors and the windows, but the door in this place up nice and high. But what's really interesting there, you've 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 you've, you've said something there. It was actually a woman called Mary Lee who taught me how to make uh, crosses back yeah. back in 1983. Primary school teacher. I was in third class at the time and the older people around the home even though there were loads of rushes they hadn't made they weren't making them my grandmother never didn't grow up with that tradition and you'd be i can guarantee you, a lot of your older listeners didn't have them it was actually the grandchildren from the 70s and 80s who started to make them they became popular the got, yeah yeah, yeah. and and, and yeah, and the primary school teachers, a lot of the women teachers, no, not knocking the men, but a lot of the female teachers. And then obviously the nuns were part of that as well. The nuns were part of that story as well of getting, of getting the crosses to kept the tradition going. It was always a big day. Yeah, day and, and I wonder are they still made today or many schools doing them today? Well, you know what? I think, I suppose the great thing about having the national holiday and having St. Bridget's Day recognised is it will. Like, I'm in my own children's school tomorrow making them all day and I've been in schools for the last couple of days, uh, over the last week as well, making them. Um, so I think I think it will, it will. One of the things that I love, I'll be honest with you, I love about St. Bridget's Day. I think, by the way, she put St. Patrick in the halfpenny place. So he always <laughs> said that she, in regards to, regards to the customs, right? But she's, I love the idea. And you'd be talking, I love going out in the field and getting the rushes and the wet field, you know, boggy land. I love 
cutting them. I love making them, making them. I like the mess at the, the mess at the end of the night. And um, but I like the, the the idea of using your hands and the idea of people sitting around together and talking and making them. I'll make them with my children. My other half's father will be up tonight as well, and his and and, and, and their the grand, the granny and grandparents from my other half. My my wife's father and mother they'll be up. So there's a lovely kind of side to it, but it's much more private than. St. Patrick's Day Parade, which is a, you know, like a big public spectacle, you know, like mm-hmm. parades and all that. But St. Bridges Day is different. Um, and I, I, I like that difference about it, you know. And I like, I, what I really love, and I love, and it, we can never lose sight of this when we talk about Bridget, the connection to nature and the connection to the seasons and the connection to spring. And of course, and this is the start of spring as well, isn't it? That's what a lot of it is to do with. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's lovely about it. And again, you can you can go at this whatever way you want. To. And I suppose that's the great thing about this now is people have different beliefs and different ways of looking at things. But the great thing is we all notice, you probably notice this morning, the mornings are brighter. Yeah. You'll notice this evening, the, bright, the evenings are brighter. I noticed me first after the last week, the snowdrops are up, you know, the buds are under the, on the trees. So the earth is waking up, you know, and, and there's growth and there's life happening around us. So I suppose Bridges, Bridges tied in with that story, which, yeah, is, which is brilliant. Yeah. Young lambs, the, lamb, the lambs are out in the fields, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's a good it's a good time of year and just just on the St Bridges Cross a listener last week um, sent me in one made out of willow and it's fantastic real sturdy cross but it's made out of willow which I yeah, haven't come across did. before yeah you be, you be, yeah you, yeah. Well, I've seen I have a little cross here uh, from a man from Galway we, we'd call them Sally's little, little Sally little little Sally rods and Sally and uh, rushes and also come here to me as well straw was used an awful lot years ago as well and people forget it now. I suppose when you, you know every everything is bailed now in say August sometime, and you never get it. You wouldn't get straw or oaten straw. But back then there was a thing called a spring threshing. So basically, you had your normal harvest, whatever it was, probably a little bit later, back years ago. But then there were haggard stands or corn stands or you know different names on them where the the, the, the oats be kept up. And this was supposed, I suppose, when the advent the, the advent of the baler came along and the hay barn came along, that changed that. But you're not talking that long ago, really, you know, in the scheme of things, maybe like the thirties, forties, it was high fifties, haggard stands, and then to be spring threshing, and then to be perfect, lovely on. Um, uh, lovely lengths of a uh, of oat and straw, and people use them to make crosses as well. Yeah, they make yeah. a lovely cross. They make yeah. a gorgeous cross. Yeah. They they were very creative, and actually, our breakfast uh, show jock uh, Ken got one sent sent in beautiful, brightly coloured one made out of pipe cleaners. <laughs> so you can, Gosh, you, can do. you know what the pipe the, the pipe cleaners are it's a queer handy open you when you're working with a five, five and six year olds and they can't bend the rushes. Yeah, yeah, are great. Uh, one of our listeners, hi Patricia. We put out the brath breather, a white cloth. We put it out in a hedge and we leave it overnight and then we use it throughout the year for various ailments. Somebody else says, yep. could you ask Michael, uh, what what are you meant to do? We make them every year. Are you meant to burn last year's ones? No, and again, it's a, a good question and I, it's a question I, I get asked the whole time. Some people burn them. I know the ones in Donegal will burn them and I know my own grandmother at home and I know people, I was only talking to a couple of women the other night, but I said, oh God, make this to me, I couldn't bear burning them. I couldn't bear burning the cross. I said, I let it fall down and fall apart. Then I'll try, then I'll get rid of it. All right. But some people burn them, and more people don't. Again, there's no, there's no, there's no right or wrong. I even got people ask me. Here's a queer one for you as well. People ask me, said, which the right way to hang it? Do you hang it when you hold a bridge's cross up in your hand? If you turn it backwards or frontwards, whatever, which the right way to hang it? And again, I've seen photographs and sketches of them, and they're they're, they're either way. So again, whatever whatever works for you. Yeah, I'm yeah, that, there's, yeah no, there's, no, there's no right or wrong. And then Pat says, uh, Patricia, the St. Bridget we have down here has nothing to do with the Bridget of Kildare. The Cork Bridget was the sister of St. Coleman. 
Ah, no, people Lord, yeah. And funny, we've we've called Coleman. Coleman was connected. We've the Holy Well for Ireland. Now that's a gas one. I didn't know that, and I don't know that far back. But I do know. I could tell you, Saint Coleman was a saint about three mile away from from where we are. Saint Coleman, and he was famous for having ducks. So I did. I didn't. I didn't know that connection was there. Okay. It's actually funny. It's interesting. There's a lot of connections between the saints and say Cork, Waterford, Wexford. There's a lot of. I suppose it makes sense. You're southern coast counties, and you would have been gone off to over to Wales and Cornwall and England and off onto the continent as well. But here's one thing as well. The same Bridget that we 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 she's our patron saint, our matron saint knows the word we're using, right? Is that she's um she's down in Spain. There's a, I know a village outside Madrid, and they have a big procession around Saint Bridget. I actually don't know if they know that we she's a big and day is with it, us. But is, they have is it our Saint Bridget? If you know our, what I mean, our one. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it is. is. Oh, apparently, they said there's a couple of them. There's a Swedish one, and there's a few other ones. But your name Bridget, you get a popular in Brittany and northwestern near northwestern France. But down in northern Spain, down in sorry, in the middle of Spain, they have it, and the statue, the same statue we've used, Saint Bridget, and they'll have it. She and she protects again, or just around food. Some of the similarities of what she's a patron saint of are, are similar. Um, they also say our, uh, years ago when the relics were brought down, they said our, our skull was brought down to outside Lisbon, oh. and there's a kind of a she's she's remembered down there as well. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting one, you know, and over in England and Wales, the Isle of Man as well, they mark her as well, they make it a type of cross as well, for okay. her as well, so she's, uh, she, I think this law will become a little bit clearer in the years to come as we kind of tease it out a little bit more, but as it is now, it's in are, its are you, are you, Yeah, are you thrilled that we are, we're going to be remembering her every year, is it, is it not before time? Yeah, absolutely. I actually did. I didn't know that there was a movement even a couple of years ago. Someone asked me this question. I actually didn't know there was a movement behind the scenes. I'm too busy working on the ground, just doing doing what I'm doing. But I, I am, to be honest with you. I think it's about time, um, and it's great because it, it um, it's just it, it is. I've always I've said it just as a practitioner or someone who's working in the area. There was always more around Bridget, and I suppose she, that kind of idea it holds more to me even personally. You know, I made crosses with my grandmother as a, as a child until she died, and I love the idea of crafting and making and our, you know. And even people, someone asked me about last year. Said, "Why are there no statues of Saint Bridget?" And I was kind of saying, "Well, she's in her, she's in her heart, she's in her heads, and she's in her mind. You know, she's she's in her, her sorry, her, her hands. She 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 lives with us in different ways. You know, that's and a I lovely way to put it." Yeah, there's a deeper way. I suppose I'm looking out here now. It's a bright spring day. Uh, sorry, the eve of, of spring, you know. So the, the start of spring is there. So um, I kind of tie her in with that as well. So, okay. so yeah. And there's lots she, of, she, there's holy wells. She's she's a number of, she wouldn't have as many as St. Patrick now, but there's a number of holy wells, isn't there, to St. Bridget? Lo- lo- absolutely. Loads. Cork, Kerry, every every county, there, there's holy wells. And again, there's someone in Tipperary recently did a study of the St. Bridget's wells or Bride's wells in in. in in, um, in, in tip so this stuff will happen more and more this is going to happen and loads of place names Kilbride Bride's Well there's play, all place names around the county is around the county and around the country with Bridget's name and the gas thing is you'll find Bride's Well and Kilbride you'll find her in Scotland the cult of Bridget and even the New World you go over to Newfoundland there's a place called Kilbride or there's a little village called St Bride's that we would go to or you'd go to Australia in Melbourne you've got Kilbride so, so, so the name of Bridget has survived you know it'd be interesting to watch the, how she spread around has spread around the world there's a great book for some of your listeners um on the on the life on the life of Bridget. Um God a name escapes me now. I should have it in my head. Sean Kissan's book. If you ever any of your listeners want to get a good deep depth of, of, of the, the life of Bridget that's a great book to get your hands on and there's another one that, that we only spoke about a couple of years ago here on the programme with uh, the late Colm Keane and his lovely wife Uno Hagen they've wrote they wrote oh, a beautiful yeah. book on um, St Bridget's and, and the life of ta- life and times because she had a fascinating life absolutely yeah absolutely and, and, and the stories we'd know we don't even know we, yeah, again 
we're, that's that's not really in my area of, of work, you know. In some ways, I'm just looking at what we do now, whatever. But yeah, yeah. absolutely, sure. She was the patron saint of so many things, like you know, she was brewers and she was the patron saint of of, 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 of her association with cattle and cows and the milk is really really strong, and that's one that stands still. That's one that stands strong still, you know. These people okay. believed that the bridge was, what well, you know. I've I met him. I got I met a woman. She was telling me about two brothers that lived near her. And they were often having awful trouble with their their their, their stock dying. This is back years ago, and she got she made it in Bridges Cross and she put it into the gave it to the lads and the lads put it into two bachelor brothers, and they put it into the into the cow house and they said the cows broke out that night going bawling and roaring around the fields. But it said that the idea was she said the Bridget came into the house and got rid of it. Now this is take take the story whichever way you want. Yeah. She got rid of the devil, she says, and, uh, and the, said it was never a, never a loss of a cow. And the cattle were fine. Listen, it's always a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for that, yeah. and thanks for joining us on the program today. Thanks, William. Uh, Thank good afternoon to you. That's the wonderful Michael Fortune. And he's got a fantastic living online archive that I direct anyone to folklore.ie. OK, that's where I have to leave you for uh, today. Uh, with a reminder to you, if you are going to put out your St. Bridget's cross or your St. Bridget's uh, cloak or brat breed tonight, is the night to do it. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.